Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Lynn S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Today is Wednesday, August the 26th, 2020, and we are continuing our study of the big book on Chapter 1, Page 1, Bill Story, Paragraph 1. Today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Kim T, Twelve Traditions, Anita L, and readers of the text, Wendy M, Julie R, and Katie G. The reference numbers for yesterday, Tuesday, August the 24th, the 7 a.m. meeting, 15214, and the 10 a.m. meeting, 15215. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Kim T. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Kim. Good morning. This is Kim T., compulsive overeater in Northern Michigan. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we are powerless over food, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs.
Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Kim T. And Anita L. will read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, everybody. This is Anita L. from outside of Philadelphia. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. And with that, I pass. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you, Anita L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study at the Big Book. We're in Chapter 1, Page 1, Bill's Story, Paragraph 1, War Fever Ran High, and Reading and Commenting on that one paragraph only. Wendy M., would you read for us, please? 
Yes, good morning. I'm Wendy M., a recovered compulsive overeater in Raleigh, North Carolina. Bill's story. War fever ran high in the New England town to which we new young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned. And we were flattered when the first citizens took us to their homes, making us feel heroic. Here was love, applause, war, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last. And in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. In time, we sailed for over there. I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. Uh, it's still so amazing to me how um, the first few times I read Bill's story and my brain was foggy and I was in the food and in disease, it did not relate at all. I thought this man has nothing in common with me. I mean, his his career's not like mine, his friends aren't like me, I just have nothing in common. And now every time I read it, there's something more and more that I find in common and I can see my disease and his story and I can see my past um, in his past and in his story. Um, what's really coming to me this morning, which has come to me in other times that I've you know, shared um, in working with others as, as a sponsor and reading and I love the experience I have um, in working with others is that you know, just in this one little paragraph, he goes from this point of such excitement to being lonely in in one paragraph. And I can remember, um, you know, most of my life, this whole I was a part of life at last, that even though I was around people and I may have had friends, I never really felt a part of things. I always felt like something was wrong with me, um, that I was living in a lot of fear, um, and something was wrong with me. And I can remember in seventh grade, I got this binge buddy that it was so much fun after school. And intervals hilarious? Absolutely. We had a great time. We laughed. I felt like I had someone in common with me. I felt like this is my friend. I felt like a part of someone relates to me. Um, and this also, I forgot the strong warnings and prejudice of people concerning drink. I actually knew I could not have sugar. I was, it was something that was removed um, from me because of problems that I actually had as a toddler and knew that I couldn't couldn't have it. I was losing my hair. I would um, rub my head against the wall, and my parents were searching for doctors to find what was wrong with me, and they said, you've got to get her. One doctor said, you have to get her off of sugar, and that changed things immediately, and so I had years of that when my parents controlled my diet, but as soon as I could go and I could babysit, and then I'd start, you know, finding the, and finding where I could babysit and hunt for food. And I'm so sorry I did not do my timer. Um, I'm probably close to the end here. But, um, you know, it progressed. 
is definitely to where I, in my disease, was lonely and was just constantly looking for the food. I became a robot. I became a slave to the food. Um, there is hope, though. I'm so thankful that that is not my life today. Um, I am not that, that robot, that lonely, isolated person, um, just constantly going for the food. And um, thank you. I will pass. Thank you, Wendy M., for getting us started. <clears throat> the line is now open for sharing on what we just read. Please say your name just once as it helps me hear everyone. And although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your share to every third day in order that others might share their experience too. So if you shared yesterday or the day before, please step back and let others have a turn. Who would like to share? Carol Sarah M. Okay, let me tell you who I did hear. I heard Sarah M., but I believe there were two people before Sarah. Somebody Tom G. A. Ron. Elon G. Ron, R-O-N. Ron G. Okay. And was there someone else? Tom Carolyn H. H. That Carolyn H. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I have Sarah M. Ron G. And Carolyn H. Was there anyone else? Tom A. Tom A. Anyone else? Laureen C. Laureen C. Okay, let's go with that lineup this morning then. Sarah M., Ron G., Carolyn H., Tom A., and Laureen C. Sarah M., please go ahead. Good morning. Thank you for your service. This is Sarah M. from Boston. Boston, compulsive over here. The part that stands out to me here is this whole part of life at last. I used intermittent fasting for years to control my eating. I knew once I started eating, I couldn't stop. So I would try and just eat one meal a day and gorge myself. And so I developed a reputation for eating like massive amounts of food because people didn't know that, that was the only time I was eating during the day. And a lot of my friends' parents and family members, they would make me a ton of food and they would prepare things specifically for me. And so it was a way for me to be accepted and for people to be excited for me to be there. And it made me feel a part of. It was the one thing I had. And um, at a certain point in time, I realized the food, just, I couldn't do this anymore. I couldn't do the intermittent fasting anymore. I couldn't eat without binging. And just like I became dishonest with my food, like knowing it was bad to me, but doing it anyway just to be a part of my personality, it was the same way. I would act in ways that just weren't true to myself at all. Um, I was just a chameleon. I just wanted to be a part of things. I wanted people to like me. I wanted people to accept me. And it was the food and everything else that went 
with that whole package of getting people to like me. But when I would leave those places and I was alone with myself, I hated myself because there was nothing authentic about me. So it starts, um, it seemingly starts with the food, but it's about so much more than that for me. And that's why I need the 12 steps to move beyond the food issues and to get to everything else that is really driving the food, which is just a symptom of all my other problems. And that's all I've got. I passed. Great. Thank you very much, Sarah M. Ron G., it's your turn, followed by Carolyn H. Please go ahead, Ron. Hi, this is Ron, compulsive reader from Daytona Beach, Florida. Um, I just celebrated seven months of abstinence uh, yesterday, and the first several were really difficult. But if, when I really tried, every day I could at least find some moments sublime and intervals hilarious. Um, and, and I lived for those moments. Sometimes they were very, very short. Um, today, uh, at this point, the majority of my my life is moments sublime and real hilarious. Um, and uh, what a gift that is. What a gift that is. Um, the uh, Our preamble says that there's no dues or fees for membership, but I, you know, I, I seriously had to pay some emotional, physical, and uh, spiritual dues to, to get to this place where my life is uh, uh, very much enjoyable. Um, and uh, I got lost abstinence once in my life, and uh, today I know that I only have a daily reprieve based on the maintenance of my uh, spiritual condition. Um, and just even having that knowledge is uh, uh, really precious to me. Um, that's all I got. I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Ron G. And Carolyn H., it's your turn, followed by Tom A. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. Thank you for your service. I'm Carolyn, a compulsive overeater in Georgia. I basically want to, cl- to claim my seat. Uh, I have completed the uh, 12 steps in a vision for you. And uh, I have uh, isolation. Uh, you know, you could, I could be even in a crowd of people and still isolate and, you know, be lonely. And uh, I have turned, you know, useful for so long. And uh, that's, you know, that's not a good thing. And uh, using food, you know, for uh, for comfort, just to uh just for everything, for all types of feelings. When, you know, being happy, being sad, being lonely, I just wanted to be a part of you know, every each well, I have always wanted to be accepted and uh sometimes, you know, you just I have done things, you know, just to say I'm a part of and then I always end up, you know, turning to the food which is not good. And, uh, you know, being a doormat and uh, just using food for everything. But I'm thankful today uh, with uh, Vision for You and OA and just all of you all that I don't have to do that today. I could, you know, every day, you know, start anew and just, you know, turn everything over to my higher power and just stay focused. 
And with that, I pass. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Carolyn H. Tom A., it's your turn, followed by Lorreen C. Please go ahead, Tom. Thanks. Thanks for your service in this uh, great meeting. I'm relatively new to visions and really enjoying studying the big book this way. The thing that strikes me about this paragraph is why Bill Wilson chose to focus on what he did. Uh, when you're starting a story, you have a lot of choices. Uh, he had just gotten married to Lois Wilson, the co-founder of Al-Anon. Uh, she was in New England with him before he went off to war. Uh, and yet he focused on the fact that he was introduced to alcohol and that uh, it, he had the illusion that life was good for a short time uh, and that he ignored the warnings of his family, his father and grandfather both had problems with alcohol uh, and he had been warned not to drink. And so he was able to do that until he was 22 years old. Uh, I wasn't able to do that with my food addiction uh, and I, I had no warning. Uh, sugar was uh, ran rampant in my whole family. Uh, obesity ran rampant. Uh, but I embraced that from a very early age. Uh, just the fact that, I mean, in a way, this builds on Dr. Silkworth's uh, opinion by basically saying he was doomed uh, from the very beginning. That, and that's where he just he chooses to start. That that his love affair with the addiction, uh, and then in the next paragraph he talks about, uh, which we're not dealing with today, but he he gets into the the doom aspect of it. So it's just helpful to me to to realize that that uh, while Bill Wilson could have talked about a lot of other things, he focused on the powerlessness uh, about the, the illusion and the fantasy and the love affair with alcohol and what it brings and then where it takes him and that and that it was driven by a deep inner pain that his loneliness uh, and he again if you know his story he, his father abandoned him when he was young and his mother abandoned him to go to school and so he had felt loneliness. His first love died. Uh, he'd felt a lot of loneliness in his life. And he now saw that alcohol could deal with it. Uh, and I can really relate to that. That uh, It took me a long time in this program to admit that loneliness was a lot of what drove my eating. So I appreciate the opportunity to share and to, to uh, focus on this paragraph. Thank you, Tom A. And Lorene C., it's your turn. Good morning. Good morning. This is Lorene D. from Washington State, and I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Um, this paragraph reminds me of my young uh, life, um, the love, applause, and with intervals in hilarious, reminds me of being at school. I was pretty smart at school and did well, and uh, got applause with the little gold stars on my papers and did well when we had our spelling bees. Um, and sometimes I'd be the class clown, although I'm an introvert. Um, I would say things just to get a laugh. Uh, but at home, uh, the home I grew up in, both of my parents worked full time and they were often not home or asleep and so I would come home to an empty house and when we were at home we needed to be quiet because someone was asleep 
And so I learned at an early age to repress myself at home. Um, I had I was the youngest of four, and I had an older brother and a sister that um, teased me uh, in a way that was hurtful to me, or actually uh, my sister would be quite mean. And so I didn't express myself. I didn't feel safe, and I didn't feel loved in my home growing up. My parents were old school. Children were to be seen and not heard. And so I would be in a quiet house alone often or hiding from one of my siblings. And I didn't realize it, but I grew up lonely. Um, And so then as I grew up, I would come home to an empty house that there would be a full cookie jar or a freezer full of snacks from Hostess. And so I would come home and go directly to the sugar and I didn't know that I was lonely because it had always been there. I didn't feel like I belonged with my family. Um, I felt like I belonged at school. But it, as I grew, um, I continued to be lonely and would turn to food and binge eat when my feelings got too big for me to manage. And I didn't know what was going on until I started attending these vision meetings and going through the book so deliberately and hearing people's stories. When I hear different people's stories, they're my story. And it just, I have such a sense of belonging with this group of visionaries because your stories are my stories. And it has been so helpful to me and Um, I have so much relief uh, from my loneliness, and I'm learning how to solve my problems, uh, turning to my higher power, and uh, my loneliness. Um, I'm not lonely anymore. I'm getting the courage to reach out to people more, and I just benefit so much from this fellowship. And uh, with that, I pass. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you, Lorene D. So just a reminder for those of us who may have uh, come on the line a little bit later, we are studying Bill's story, chapter one, page one, the first paragraph, war fever ran high. The line is now open for sharing on what we just read. And although we value your experience, We ask that you limit your share to every third day in order that others might share their experience too. So that means if you shared yesterday or the day before, please step back and let others have a turn. And please say your name just once. It does help me hear everybody. Who would like to share? Jen A. Jen A. Ronnie B. Jennifer C. Okay. I heard Jen A, Ronnie B, Jennifer C. Who did I miss? Laura M. Laura M. Anyone else? Okay. Let's go with that lineup. We have Jen A, Ronnie B, Jennifer C, and Laura M. Please go ahead, Jen. 
Good morning, Lynn, and thank you for your service today. Excited to be in the first chapter of the book after uh, getting diagnosed by the doctor and now self-diagnosing myself. Um, I'll never forget, like others have said this morning when I read Bill's story, I'm like, what the heck does this have to do with me? <laughs> this guy's crazy, right? <laughs> but um, the reality is is that um, I've just learned about the allergy uh, of the body and the obsession of the mind from the doctor. And now I'm going to read uh, about how that plays out in somebody's life. And in this, paragraph, in this uh, chapter, just like kind of we listen um, to qualifications um, on the special edition on a vision for you of people's stories, um, we hear if the solution really works for you guys, right? Did it work for the person in Overeaters Anonymous? Is it working for Bill in this book? Is it going to work for me? That's the question, right? And so the first nine pages of Bill's story, um, you know, I'm going to look at this story and I'm going to start underlining the parts that I personally relate to in this story. And I'm going to ask myself, right, do I feel, think, and eat like Bill thought, he felt, and he drank, right? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, hmm, can I identify in, does a girl like me feel like this? And already in paragraph numero uno, I've, at, he's nailing me right here, right? I was never at war, but I can tell you that I discovered food, and food made me feel really good when I already felt good, right? When my highs were high and I was in the hospital, I just got married. I had the first baby boy, and guess what? I ate over it. I was at my highest, highest weight after having a baby. Like most people, they get back to a normal-sized body. Oh, no, I kept eating my way through it. And then things started to get worse for me, right, with my marriage, um, with having a new baby. I didn't know how to handle it. And so guess what? When I was lonely, when I was feeling yucky, when I couldn't handle life, guess what? I ate too. So already in paragraph number one, from the excitement, I can totally identify in with Bill. Um, I ate when I was lonely, miserable. I ate. I ate all the time. I, I felt like Bill felt, right? I, I, I got what Bill's got. So I want to hang around for the next nine pages to find out, you know, what's the solution? Where did Bill go from here? And he takes me on a roller coaster ride. And you know what I love about that? My life was a freaking roller coaster ride before I found the solution, before I got access to power, before I did these steps and leaned into a God, right? And can my life still be crazy today? Absolutely, if I let it, right? I can turn back to the food anytime I want. I can pick up that bite for a sense of ease and comfort. But today I turn to a higher power, and that's what this book has shown me. It's given me access to HP, um, and it's just it's so amazing. So um, if you're new, um, just keep hanging out, keep underlining, see where you identify in. Um, there's some crazy stuff in here, and and it's you know it was written in a year where I didn't understand what you know a Hampshire grenadier was. So just look up the words, do the work, and really dive in deep. It's a really awesome way. Um, you know, to just read this text and then start applying it to me. Does, do, can I identify in? And um, like, like somebody else said, the more and more I read it, the more I identify in and I see myself. And it's just a good reminder that um, I'm just like Bill, um, even with the food. Thanks. And I'll pass, Lynn. Thank you, Jen A. Ronnie B., it's your turn, followed by Jennifer C. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, everyone. Ronnie, compulsive overeater. Um, 
I, I love Joel's story, and in the last several months, I, I bet I've read it about 14 times. Uh, I know uh, certainly going through the steps, and then I sponsor many people and many programs, so we, we go through that on a regular basis. So I love the dramatics of Bill, and I get that. I get the drama, you know, uh, and I have to really curtail the drama. But now in terms of my disease, by the time I got into any OA program, I had to have been in other programs almost 10 years before I could even face my disease of compulsive overeating. And I was just thinking about the warning Bill had and knowing that it was in his family. Now, I knew the drinking was in my family. I, I certainly don't know about the eating, so I'll be honest, I'm one of I'm one of eight children, and I can say from time to time I've seen siblings overeat, but not like me. So for me, the compulsion, I remember that always being there. And no matter what I had, it was never enough. Now, first of all, we didn't grow up with abundance. So if I saw food anywhere, I I was gouging it. It was going straight down skip the chewing part, and get straight down there to make sure I got my share. Now, that's just a fact of how I grew up. But it didn't change once I was on my own, had a good job, was self-sufficient, self-employed. I mean, I had good jobs. I had a good income. And you know what I could think about? When I go to the store, I'm going to buy this, 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 and this. And when I get home, I'll start eating because I lived alone. But that never worked. Because once I was in the car alone, I would just start. And I didn't stop until either a box or a bag was completely empty or I was sick. And usually they went hand in hand. So I love what, you know, Bill was saying, like, he could see that some things were a problem. And by the way, my compulsion with food by far outweighed my compulsion with alcohol by far. Yet. When I drink, I remember I'd been drinking with certain people, and when we weren't drinking, we were eating and thinking about what we were going to eat and going to the store, the fun of getting all the stuff to eat. And so, you know, for me, I'm the one in my family that has, I would have to say, the most illnesses, but I'm also the only one in the family who has any recovery. You know, and and so I do look like the oddball. Like, why does she do phone meetings? You know, you know. I've, my brother's already said to relatives, "Oh, when Ronnie's around, make sure you hide your beer. She still has to go to those meetings because he's been dry thirty years." And I have a choice. I can either smile at that, like pray for him, or I could get mad. Right? They're all choices. And I think that's what Bill was facing too. Like he was getting a warning. He had a time, please. Okay, thank you, everyone. I'll I'll end with that. Thank you. Thank you, Ronnie B. Jennifer C., it's your turn, followed by Laura M. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning. Jennifer C. recovered in Greenville, South Carolina. So thankful, so thankful for for recovery and for Bill's story. Um, Loneliness and boredom. That has to be my number one trigger with food. Um, And the more I stay recovered, the more I get to get in touch with that. You know, when you're in the disease, there's the excitement around the food. 
um, getting the food, planning the food, um, the binge itself, the aftermath of the binge, right? Now I get to focus on, oh my goodness, I ate again. And and what am I going to do tomorrow? And what am I going to change that's going to be different this time? And I get to obsess about getting back on track. And this time I'm going to do it. And all of that, the planning, the binging, the aftermath, that all takes up a tremendous amount of space in my brain. And it's not boring at all. It's the most exciting thing that I think that I uh, can experience is planning a binge and then binging itself. But guess what? Um, it also causes the, the most amount of pain in my life and the aftermath is the most horrific thing that I can possibly experience. Um, so when you remove that, when you remove that process and you remove that, that, um, that drug and that overstimulation of food addiction, now what, right? The loneliness is still there. The boredom, the boredom is still there. What do I do with that? Um, because truly it can pop up any time that I'm not connected. It's not about being alone. Um, because I can feel alone in a room full of people and at the dinner table with my own family, I can feel alone. Um, so where do I go with that? Where do I go with that? Um, and the truth is that I, I go to a 10 step now, right? So all the things that I used to go to food for, I now go to my 10 step. I now go to, okay, What's going on with me right now? God is everything or God is nothing. So what if those feelings of boredom and loneliness are there to remind me that nothing and no one is going to fill that God-shaped hole, right? So not eating, not shopping, not my husband, not any of those things. I need a psychic change. I need a psychic change. So so all those feelings are still there for a reason because God is everything, right? So God is in that boredom and God is in that loneliness. And today I know that for all the things that I used to look to food for, now I go and I say, okay, what's, what's going on here? And I do the work and then I get to the other side and I get to reconnect to God. Um, failed to heed, right? Um, ominous warning, which he failed to heed. How many things have I failed to heed? I thought I was invincible. I thought the rules just didn't apply to me. They just didn't. Um, today, today I stop and I pause and I ask, what's God saying? What's God saying through this loneliness? What's God saying through this anxiety, through this fear? Um, and I get to use all the same things that used to draw me to the food. I get to interrupt that process today and I get to ask questions and I get to keep recovering. And I'm so thankful for recovery. Thank you so much for letting me share. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Jennifer C. And Laura M., it's your turn. Good morning, Laura. Good morning, everyone. And thank you so much for your service. This is Laura M. in Southwest Missouri, walking that path of recovery just one day at a time. Boy, this story really captured me this morning. Life at last. I could hear and I could feel that sense of relief, and it transported me back in time. And I really, where I identified is, um, I hear, what I hear him saying is, whether it's life at the top with the excitement and surrounded by friends, or whether it's life at the bottom, lonely and bored, he turned to drink. And it reminded me of my teen years where, you know, life at last, I felt 
accepted and surrounded by friends and it was fun and there was indulgence and there was compulsive behavior and but it felt real it felt it felt accept it felt like acceptance it felt like life and that was part of it and within that same those same years there were times that i felt so lonely and i was i was not surrounded by those people and i did not know what to do with myself and so once again i turned to that compulsive behavior i turned to that indulgence to to recapture that feeling and what this all kind of made me think about this morning is it, it, it made me shoot ahead to a couple of truths that we learn later in the book. And one is the central part of this disease exists in my mind. And also that I cannot differentiate the truth from the false. And so what, I'm, what I've learned is that my state of mind, it, this, this old is not able to differentiate the truth and the false. This old falseness in my mind created this link between emotion and the compulsive behavior. And so there was this almost this automatic link that, oh, I'm having an emotion, whether that's a high or whether that's a low, and so with that emotion comes the compulsive behavior. And that all centers in my mind, and that has been the process of this program is to learn uh, learn that fact and then learn about these, you know, these strategies, these steps that teach me a new way of thinking, a new way of being. And to that, I am so grateful. And it is a process that continues for the rest of my life. And sometimes there's highs and sometimes there's lows and sometimes it's progressing quickly and sometimes slowly was so glad to be walking this path with all of you just one moment at a time. Thank you so much, and I will pass. Thank you, Laura M., and just a reminder that we are on Bill's story, chapter one, page one, the first paragraph, and the line is now open for sharing on what we just read. Although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your share to every third day in order that others might share their experience too. So if you shared yesterday or the day before, please step back and let others have a turn. And please say your name just once. It does help me hear everyone. Who would like to share? Ken W.H. Anyone else? Press star one to unmute if you'd like to share. Heidi L. from Toronto. Lane C. Cindy M. Pennsylvania. Okay, we have Ken W.H., Heidi L., Lane C., and Cindy M. Let's go with that lineup. Ken, could you start us off, please? 
Yes, good morning. Thank you so much. Um, just just a brief thoughts. I'm just aware that I'm uh, having lots of feelings this morning about this, even the first paragraph, because uh, it brings up that word loneliness. And boy, I remember that as uh, the lost in a crowd and um, abandonment. Uh, my mother was emotionally unavailable. My father was an alcoholic, functional alcoholic who overworked. And uh, my grandfather was the, um, <laughs> the, the the writing was on the wall, let's put it that way. My grandfather was the town drunk and my immediate family, were the we were the bowling ball people on the block. All of us were fat. And uh, But I remember... Uh, trying so desperately to fit in and uh, and feeling that deep loneliness. And the only solution I could really find was food. And then I found alcohol later, but uh, food never left me. It was it was my buddy. And uh, this is painful to, to look at and, and realize that um, where, where it took me, what feelings I experienced. And, uh, uh, but I'm frankly so grateful that I'm not lonely anymore because uh, I have all of you. Um, <clears throat> I've come a long, long way. Uh, I have a long way to go, but um, uh, I'm just so grateful for you all. This is uh, an incredible fellowship that uh, I've become a part of, and I'm so thankful. Thanks for letting me share. Bye. Thank you, Ken WH. Heidi L., it's your turn, followed by Lane C. Good morning, Heidi. Hey there, this is Heidi calling from Toronto. And every time I read this, I just think of how grateful I am to be born in this time and this place, because before this book was written, there was no hope. Um, You were just... There were no tools. Maybe you were lucky. There were rare spiritual experiences, and or you were just left to fend for yourself and run around barefoot and who knows what. And the thing I need to say too, and I just checked that there was 411 people on the line, and I'm trying to imagine what that looks like. I'm trying to imagine what a room or a place with 411 people looks like. But I need to tell all of you that I've been having food thoughts. Uh, I've been abstinent for almost six months, and I'm imagining as I'm just feeling frustrated with my life. So this disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful in that I still have food thoughts, um, and I know where they take me. I was just there. I know what they do. Um, But I need to continue to trudge the road of happy destiny and know that there is hope, there's solution, and that the thought, those thoughts are just my warped brain. And I can't believe, like I'm just so grateful that Bill was there and wrote these words down. And now almost 100 years later, we're reading them um, in this time and this place. And I thank you all for being here. Bye-bye. Thank you, Heidi L. Lane C., it's your turn, followed by Cindy M. Please go ahead, Lane. Thank you so much for your service this morning. This is uh, Lane C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater uh, from Rochester, New York. And um, what I just um, really appreciate at the beginning of Bill's story is, you know, I see in here, um, in the midst of excitement, I discovered liquor. 
in the midst of loneliness, I discovered liquor. In the midst of love, applause, war, uh, moments sublime, intervals, hilarious. Um, I mean, it just talks to me. It tells me that um, that at any point in my life, I was, you know, it, in when I was in my addiction, um, I could be in the food. It didn't matter what was going on. It didn't matter what. Um, was happening in my day-to-day. The food was where I turned whenever I was having sort of a heightened emotional experience. Um, And, you know, what it also tells me is, like, it doesn't – and what we learn, I think, throughout the step one chapters of this book is, like, it doesn't matter what my life was like. Um, There were times when my life was not going well. I turned to the food. There were times when my life was going great, when my career was soaring, when success was there, and I turned to the food still. Um, and so, it, you know, um, what this isn't about is it isn't about changing the conditions of my life. Um, what this, you know, what this isn't about is, you know, once I uh, get recovered or once I enter into recovery, my life is going to be happy all the time. Um, what it is about is, you know, um, learning how to live with life's ups and downs without turning to the food or without turning to alcohol, like at the beginning of Bill's story. Um, He also reminds me, you know, it also reminds me here, strong warnings and prejudices of people concerning food never actually worked for me. Um, Never, it never worked for me, you know, when I was going to doctors and they were telling me that I needed to start eating less or that I needed to be exercising more or whatever, you know, whatever their solutions were. That stuff never worked for me. Um, And, you know, especially in those moments when the food was available and when it was there or when I was having a heightened emotional experience and felt like I needed to turn to the food, those warnings and prejudices were never what could actually give me the power to say no. Um, The piece that always has given me the power to be able to say no is a power greater than myself and a higher power. Um, That's what's been able to get between me and the food. That's what's helped me to not eat sugar for quite a a period of time or to not eat some of the other food ingredients. Um, It's never been, you know, the the strong warnings and prejudices. It's never been, you know, the different things that I can do to try and adjust the conditions of my life to be a little bit more, um, you know, on one level and even keel. Um, it's all about uh, this program and the tools that have been given uh, to all of us, the tools that are available to literally every single one of us. I think one of the great things about Bill's story is that we find if Bill can do this and Bill relapses many times in the next, you know, eight or nine pages, if, you know, if Bill can do this, if Bill can recover, we can recover. If I can recover, you can recover. If all the folks who have shared on this line who are recovered can recover, it is available to you. And it's just this amazing spiritual toolkit that is laid at our feet. Um, so I'm grateful to be in recovery with all of you today. Grateful to hear all the folks who have shared thus far. And I'm so grateful to be a part of this community. With that, I pass. Thank you, Lane C. And Cindy M., it's your turn. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning. Thank you for your service. This is Cindy M. from Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And very grateful. Um, yeah, oh, I just love what the last speaker um, shared. Um, the big thing that hits me is that um, is it's not said here, but you know the fact that he was a young officer um, and that he. Um, well, that he was Bill, which, you know, when you read about him and you read everything he's written, you realize he really was a, a great man. He really 
was so successful in so many ways. And, um, you know, he was, he was successful enough to be a young officer um, before he even uh, went to, to war. And, um, and here he was still feeling lonely amongst all these people. He had to be with a battalion or whatever when he went to England and, um, and here he was lonely and um, here he was uh, being swayed by what other people thought and he didn't feel that great about himself inside and and it just surprises me so much because he was such a productive um, intelligent um, persuasive uh, charming man and and here he didn't he really didn't realize how much he had going for him and I think about myself and I just think you know I've always thought um, I was less than and um and i have always turned to food whether it's because i'm happy or sad or lonely or bored or any reason i can be i can you know food is a big part of my life or was and well i mean still is i love to eat but now i just don't eat the things and i eat when i'm supposed to so i just you know, I always look at people like Bill and think, oh, you've got it all. You you really are ever, you know, you're all that and you don't have the insecurities that I have. But here we see right here that he he did have all these insecurities. He he had it all, but he still didn't know how precious he was and how uh, great he was and what he would be doing in the future. So. I really appreciate being able to relate to him by my own insecurities. And, um, and uh, so anyway, that's, um, that's what I have to share. Thank you for listening. I'll pass. Thank you, Cindy. Um, thank you to everyone who shared and thank you to our wonderful Wednesday workforce for our service this month in August. Tim T, Anita L, Wendy M, Julie R, Katie G, Devorah S, and Sandy W. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And the share ID for today, Wednesday, August the 26th, the 7 a.m. meeting is 15224. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Julie R., would you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. 
Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.